Well, good morning again, everyone. It's a new month. It's a new season. It's nice. Uh, if you are interested, today is the final day you can go skiing at Holiday Valley. Just wanted to put that out there. They're going to close this afternoon, and that'll be the end of it. But the weather is turning a little bit. Even inside, we have a change of seasons here going into uh, the Easter season. You see some decorations and stuff. And Jacob actually did a great job with that. Good job, Jacob. There was other people as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of new things that uh, we're going to be talking about today. And it's just nice to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, will you open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8? If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's a black uh, book there. And it has the Bible. It's uh, page uh, 1259 is where we're going to be going. Uh, today we're using the New International Version. If you're a guest with us and you have your own Bible, thank you for bringing that. Uh, if you want to use a tablet or an iPhone, uh, make your way to maybe version is a good app to use. We are in Hebrews chapter 8. Wow, we've got some really rich, good stuff uh, we're going to work our way through today. It's meaty. It's life-changing. If you're willing to deal with it. It'll change your life if you're willing to embrace it. And isn't this true of many things in our lives? What if you had a three-year-old who just wouldn't eat their dinner? What if that diet was exclusively chicken nuggets and that was their entire life of chicken nuggets? What if, what if maybe your parenting style, all you were feeding that child was chocolate chip cookies, and chocolate, <laughs> saw that one coming, didn't you? Yes. Chocolate chip cookies, and chocolate chip pancakes, and chocolate milk, and chocolate Oreos, and chocolate muffins. Be pretty good, right? What if your child refused to eat anything else? And you pinned them down on the kitchen floor and you took that food that you want them to eat and you stuck it in their mouth and then you took their jaw and you pushed it back and forth and crammed it back and forth but they refused to swallow. Would that be bad? Hashtag asking for a friend. <laughs> New things are difficult for all of us. And sometimes new things pop up at just the wrong time. Imagine, if you will, and some of you have lived this, so it's not an imaginary thing, but imagine, if you will, you've got a family member, maybe the patriarch of the family, and they're on their deathbed, and things are not going well, and, and you realize that, th that his days are numbered, and he calls the entire family together and brings everyone in, brings them all in close, and says, I just want to let you know, I want you to go through uh, my last will and testament. I want you to know what's going to happen. Uh, when I go, and nobody wants to hear the conversation, and, but they, they listen in, and, and he has set things up, uh, has set things up so everyone knows what's going to happen, and he hands out the document and says, this is what's going to happen when I go. And they think that it's the last days, but actually what ends up happening is he recovers, and he lives another three or four years, and then gets sick, and then passes away. Can you imagine the shock on that family's name, on that family's faces when they come in and they realize that the document that they've been holding on to for the last four years has been replaced by a new document. 
the time that he took to explain to them how everything was supposed to be done, that had been replaced now by a new will and testament. What they had was now obsolete. What they had now was worthless. And all of a sudden, they're looking at things and wondering, what are we supposed to do? What is this new document? How did this come together? How am I supposed to handle that? They would be surprised. They would be shocked. They would be stunned. And in many ways, the readers here in the book of Hebrews are feeling the same way. They are shocked. They are stunned. There's this talk of a new covenant that had come about. And they said, well, what about this old document that we've been told so much about? And the author of Hebrews is is so sharp, and he takes so much time to be able to go through and says, wait a minute, no, this, this should not be a total surprise to you. Let's look at our ancient documents. Let's look at all of those pieces of paper you had, and it's been written into all of those documents all along. We just missed it. And maybe the big shock to most people as they were reading this was not so much what was being foretold, but that Jesus had come and he was right in front of them, and yet they still wanted to live off of that old piece of paper. He's right here in front of you. As we've been going through this series, the word better uh, is, is what we're using in this series. But if you look at the book of Hebrews, it's astonishing to me really how often the word better comes up again and again and again. And it's always referring to Jesus. Now we've made our way back and forth a few times into the book, but if you remember back uh, around the Christmas season when we started the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews chapter 1, it's always referring to Jesus as, you know what, he is better than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2 says he is better than Moses and all the prophets. He is better than all existence. He is better than anything that has been created. And whatever it is that you've started to put in front of him, the writer encourages them, says, do not fall away. Do not let that distraction pull you away from what is better, and that is Jesus, and he's in front of you. Do not be distracted. Do not fall away. Anchor down. Hold on. Hold fast, it says. And then we've just come through chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, talking about the priesthood. He takes this much time to spend diving in, and actually we just spent the last two weeks talking about specifically the priest, the greatest priest that they could name, Melchizedek. And he says, as high on a, on a lofty pedestal that you've placed him, let you read through this, let you understand this, that this priest is only an illustration of Jesus Christ. And so I'm sure the readers are looking and saying, well, is because the priests, their job was to mediate, was to go through. Like their responsibility was to connect the man, the sinner, to God. And they were the one who went in between. They said, well, what are we supposed to do now? Is everything new? Do we have to start over? How, how does this work in this new system? And the author saying, we have a better mediator. We have a better and new covenant. As a matter of illustration for you this morning, you need to know something about me. I have to confess to you that I am absolutely obsessed with how chairs are set up in a room. It's not funny. 
Throughout this building, there are rooms all the way through this building. If I've had anything to do with it, when you walk into a room, every chair in that room will match. If I've not been by in a little while, there'll be a few strays that have found their way into that room. But that drives me absolutely crazy. I've been at multiple church plants. In South Carolina, we were at a church called Ridgeview Church. We met in an elementary school. I was the worship leader, but over time, it became my responsibility. We had folding chairs. I wanted every one of those folding chairs to be set up in a perfect line. I wanted to know that when you came in, that there was the same distance between the chair in front, and I came up with a system and a grid of how to do that. And we would put Excel spreadsheets together of how to make sure that our chairs were set up properly. And on the floor in that particular cafeteria, there was different colors because it was in an elementary school. And you had all these different quads to be able to work off of. And so as you saw these different colors, that meant that the chairs needed to be set in those different ways and arrange themselves throughout the room. And sometimes uh, when we had communion, we would change things around and we would serve. Uh, that week we'd have worship at tables. And so we'd have to have a different setup for tables. Later, I moved over to the well here in Buffalo as part of the planting team that started the well. And over time, we started to get new chairs. In that particular sanctuary, we pulled, out, uh, we pulled out the pews and got these new folding chairs that went in. And guess whose responsibility it was to figure out how we could fit the most seats in the room. And so we went around. Some of you know Bill Natalzia. He and I worked together there for a while, served together there. And we went around with a black magic marker and put little dots all the way along the floor so you knew where the front left corner of your chair sat and you made the whole room make sense. But there was times when there was weddings or other things and you wanted a center aisle instead of side aisles and so you needed to set those up. Then we moved over to Renewal Church. Same thing, we took the pews out but this time we bought really nice chairs and wanted to make sure that we were setting stuff up not for a temporary thing but something that would last for a while. So we spent a lot of money on chairs to make sure that they were good. And these were nice chairs because they were padded and they would interlock one to another. And so we had a setup, same thing, went through and marked the floor, put the little marker dots and then changed the color if we wanted to do a different setup for the room. Those were green dots and the other ones were black dots and to make sure because renewal is green, that's the color there, so we knew that that was the regular color, green, you're go, black, you're dead. And so because of that, <laughs> and so we took all that effort and we donated. There was a church in the area that, that wanted to upgrade their pews, and so we, they came in and we helped them. They took out the old pews from the church and we set up all these chairs and for the purpose of all the different ways that we could utilize that space because we had chairs. My wife has pointed out to me a number of times, why was it that we got chairs again? Oh, so we can set them all up in rows, kind of like pews. <laughs> I have to bring you into that because today's outline, if you're looking at your sheet of paper, it's a white sheet of paper. It's pretty rigid. It's kind of like, it's kind of like setting up a bunch of chairs. And so if that makes you excited, fantastic. I'm glad you're here this morning. Because that's where we're going to go. We're going to make our way through the outline this morning. It just kind of fell out into my lap as I was working through this. It just seemed like, man, one thing followed another. And it's, man, if you look, it's really straight. It's really clean. It's really clear. And, and to some of you, that excites you, and you've got big beaming smiles looking back. And to others of you, you feel like I'm pinning you down on the ground right now, grabbing you by the jaw and forcing you uh, to eat this morning. So if you're ever a public speaker and you divide your room in the half before you even begin with the left brain people and the right brain people, it's not a good plan. So 
Try to stay with me this morning, okay? I'll do the best that I can to move quickly through some of that organizational stuff if it drives you crazy and get you to the meat of what's going on. So the first fill-in for you this morning is this. A better deliverer. A better deliverer. Today's message comes from Hebrews chapter 8, but we need to back up and take a little bit from Hebrews chapter 7 to give us some context. This was the last verse we read last week, and I think it's just a great transitional verse to get us there. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Therefore, because there was four chapters, remember, talking about the priest and the role of the priest and how Jesus was going to fulfill that. So therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Here's your three fill-ins. You ready? His power is able to save. His people are drawn near. His promise is to always intercede. His power is able to save. His people are drawn near. His promise is to always intercede. He is a deliverer. He is able to deliver upon what he has promised. I grew up reading westerns. And one of my favorite things that I would dream about, if only I lived back in that time period and I could be one of the riders on the Pony Express, I thought that would be the most fantastic. Can you imagine that you get on a horse and someone hands you a bag and they say, just run. Go as fast as you can. And by the way, you have to shoot back and forth at people because they want to get the mail. Like, how awesome is that? You know, cowboys, Indians, trains, jump on the train, jump off the train, go, go, go. This summer, excuse me, last summer, we got to make a cross-country trip as a family, and we made our way through. And one of the places we just happened to randomly stop, it wasn't one of our things on our list, was this place in Montana. And it was called, let me look it up, uh, Casper, Wyoming. Excuse me, it wasn't Montana, it was Wyoming. It's all big out there, so I got a little bit distracted. And it said, we pull into town, and all of a sudden, we kind of, we just, you know, get some gas, go to the bathroom, and there's this big sign that says, one of the premier stops on the Pony Express. And I was like, I've made it! I'm here! <laughs> and I got my kids out of the car and dragged them over in front of the billboard, and we took a picture, and they had no idea why it was important, and, and they weren't excited about it at all, and I just thought this was the coolest thing in the world. But you know what? There is no Pony Express anymore. There is no reason to jump on a horse and run from Missouri out to San Francisco. There are better ways to get the mail to where it needs to go. There is a better delivery system. Jesus is able to save completely, it says here. Jesus is a better deliverer. The readers here would know about Moses who delivered them out of Egypt, who took his people out and walked across the Red Sea. But what happened to Moses? He died. And then they would think of King David who had delivered them against the Philistines and had knocked down the giant. He had fallen. He had cut off his head. And then he ruled, it said, with a sword in his fist. He was their deliverer. But then David died. And later, when they had been thrown into captivity, we learn, and as things are being rebuilt, we learn about Nehemiah, 
who brings his people together and unites them, and they rebuild the walls. He delivered them, but Nehemiah died. And so they see this cycle. That deliverer could not save them completely. And the readers who are currently looking at this text are under the thumb of Roman rule. And by AD 70, the temple would fall and they would be crushed and thrown in every which direction. They needed a deliverer who was better, a deliverer who could save completely, a better deliverer. Second, a better offering, a better offering. Still in chapter 7, verse 26, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. He is a better offering. Here are your fill-ins that go with that. You ready? Here we go. His attributes are exalted, verse 26. His atonement is once and for all, verse 27. His appointment was made perfect, verse 28. You see, the Levitical priests, they had to keep themselves away from anyone who would defile them. That's why the story of the Good Samaritan includes the priests that would not help the person who's laying on the side of the road in their own filth because they've been beaten up by robbers, wouldn't help them. Why? Because it would keep them from doing their responsibility, their day-to-day practices. But Jesus, he could mix with sinful people. Why? Because he was pure in and of himself. You see, he could touch lepers in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, the ritually unclean and even the dead in Luke chapter 8. And he was not defiled. Instead, his purity and life-giving power was imparted on them. He made them clean. These priests, they were weak sinners. It says here that they had to perform a sacrifice for themselves first before they could then even go in and make a sacrifice for the people. But Jesus didn't need a sacrifice because he lived without sin. And even more so, he became the sacrifice. And that, once and for all. He is a better offering. Thirdly, he is a better new covenant. A better new covenant. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point, you can circle that, underline it, highlight it, whatever you're working with today, of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary. The true tabernacle has been set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. 
Verse 4, if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at the sanctuary. That is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build a tabernacle. See to it that you make everything in accordance to the pattern shown you on this mountain. Verse 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on, there's that word, better promises. Here's your fill-ins. His seat is on the throne. His sacrifice was a necessary offering. His superiority was and is, has been established. You see, the priest was always standing in the temple. The practice was for him to be able to come and people would come to the temple and he would take their offerings and he would bless the offering or he would clean the offering or he would do whatever would need to be made necessary in order to bring that in. And so they would take the offering and they would come in and then they would offer the sacrifice. And that priest would offer the sacrifice before the Lord. And then if God blessed him, then he would go back. And what would he do again? He would go back and he would take the next sacrifice, the next offering, and bring it in to the Lord. And the process would repeat itself again and again and again. And one of the primary sacrifices that was made was yearly the sacrifice for the sins of atonement. And as he's going back and forth each day, day after day after day, he's just counting down the days before the day of atonement would come again. The author of Hebrews takes the time, points out the detail that as that priest does his work, as he is standing in the temple, he makes the comparison to Jesus who is God. And what does he do? He sits down. Because the work has been completed once and for all. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus sits down at his throne. Why? Because it is done. It is one and done. Finished. Complete. He would not need to be a priest of the old covenant. He was a priest the kingly priest of the new covenant, and he sat down because the job was complete. So as we see the difference between the old priest and the new priest, Jesus Christ, it's also a reminder that Moses in the tabernacle, it says, was designed to be a shadow of the real thing. If you've ever had your child wander away from you for a moment in a grocery store and then they'll sidle up to the wrong family, the wrong dad, they'll pull on the wrong dad's leg, you know what I mean? And then they look up in shock and they realize, oh no, that's not, that's not who I thought it was. So if you're a child and there's a, a shadow being cast on the ground and in the same way the people of God have been, have been worshiping a shadow they get distracted at times. He says, why are you worshiping the shadow? Turn around and look at the real thing. It's there before you. The old covenant 
And many of your Bibles even have the Old Testament and the New Testament. It really is the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant that had been made. And now the New Testament, the New Covenant, it separates the two halves of our Bible. Why? Because that New Covenant has changed everything. We're no longer worshiping the shadow. We are worshiping the one who has finally been able to sit down because his sacrifice was complete and whole. It is a better new covenant. Finally, a better establishment. A better establishment. Beginning in verse 7. For there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Here we go. The author of Hebrews is again pointing out Old Testament scripture that they would believe in their Bible, their scriptures that they are holding. He says, look, this is not new information. It's been here all along. You've just missed it. Verse 9, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is what the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say one to another, Know the Lord, because they will already know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Here are your fill-ins for this section. His timeline has been written. His training will endure. His tenderness will remain. His timeline has been written. He's the one writing the timeline. You see that? It's his timeline. He determines that now the new covenant is in place. At his appointed time, it has been set. The old covenant was all about what you do as an act of worship, all about how you go through. I'm, I'm reading through right now through the Bible this year. I'm in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's just telling all the different practices and all the different ways that you have to fulfill the law. The new covenant is not about what you do. The new covenant is about who you know, Jesus Christ. It's stunning how different the New Testament is from the Old Testament. There's no authorization in the New Testament for these things, for worship buildings, for sanctuaries, for worship dress, for worship times, for a 36 and a half minute sermon. That's my target if you're wondering. There's no place for that. A worship literary, liturgy or a worship size. Actually, all of those things are defined in the Old Covenant. But the New Covenant says all of those things are just a shadow of what? The real thing. And so worship Jesus Christ because that is what's being pointed at. His training will endure. How? It will be written on their hearts, he says. It's not going to be written down on a tablet of stone. 
you will know because it is in your minds and written on your hearts. And then his tenderness will remain. Verse 12 says that his forgiveness will cover all wickedness and all sin, and he will remember it no more. So it's funny to talk about keeping chairs together, drawing dots on the floor, straight lines, things in order, when you're talking about chairs. It's not as funny when legalistic behavior and religion starts to take over what is supposed to be a relationship with God. And I'll tell you, for me, Maybe you've heard the term recovering Pharisee. For me, that's my story. Yes, I enjoy things organized, but that, when that starts to shape your theology, that is a problem. That is a problem. And for me growing up in high school, there was never a question. Maybe there was. I've never asked my parents. But there was never a question for me as to whether or not I was going to drink alcohol or have uh, premarital sex or, or get into trouble in those ways. But I intentionally went to the places and to the parties and to the things where the, that activity was happening because I was better than them. Because I had everything in a straight line. And so because of that, I could look down on these people. And it was even better if I could be present in person to be able to look down on them. I've now served for about five years back in western New York as an adult in a pastoral capacity been part of planting two churches. And now I'm on staff here as your lead pastor. I grew up less than an hour away from here. I don't believe it's by any coincidence or surprise that there are very few people from my childhood and my background that are willing to come by and see what's that Pastor Milo up to these days. I wonder what his church would be like that he's leading. That number is very small. Not because I didn't live for God. Not because Christ wasn't the most important thing in my life. because I allowed what I was doing and religiosity to drive the decision-making in my attitude. It was really an old covenant mindset compared to the new covenant mindset. So this morning, I want to give you a pretty simple tool, if you will, to try to close and explain maybe where we're at this morning. So if you've got your sheet of paper that you're working on there, take out, flip it over so you've just got an empty blank sheet of paper. If you're ever meeting someone for coffee, over dinner, I'll tell you a story about my child because I think that I missed the very heart of the gospel. So you see all the religions of the world, every one of them, can be spelled this way. And write these two letters on the back of your sheet of paper. The letters D and O. 
All the religions of the world can be described in that way. Religiosity in itself is what do you do? Where do you worship? How many times a week? What do you give? Have you made it to Mecca? Have you gone and worshiped at this place at this time in this way? How many times a day have you bowed down to worship? Have you read your Bible today? All of that type of things by itself all comes down to doing, doing, doing. But that in itself is going to come up short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All religions of the world will also agree to the fact that we are broken and sinful people, and so therefore we need to do these things to try to remedy that problem. Various ways, various styles, all working towards what we do. And thinking about this this week, it was brought to my memory of Stephen. And Stephen was there in Acts chapter 7. And as Stephen was there in Acts chapter 7, he gets in an argument with the religious rulers of the day. He gets in an argument with the religious rulers. Why? Because he was contrasting their very system, talking about the things that the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Arguing with them, talking about, and, and actually talking about Moses as well. And what he was doing by bringing Christ to the center of everything that they had done and saying, you need to see Christ because Christ is better than this. This is the better way. And they were so caught up, those religious leaders, those Pharisees, those rulers were so caught up in what they were doing that they literally picked up stones and murdered Stephen. You see, the way that you spell every religion in the world are the letters D and O. But the way that you spell Christianity are the letters D-O-N-E. It's already been done. The sacrifice has already been offered. Jesus is a better deliverer. Jesus is a better offering. Jesus is a better new covenant. Jesus is a better establishment. He has completed it. And yet we are so obsessed over what we're supposed to be doing. And the author of Hebrews and Stephen, as he is monitored, saying, no, there's a better way. Do you know Jesus? Because we can't do it ourselves. We cannot live a perfect, moral, upright life without sin. But Jesus can, and he did. He paid the penalty for our sin so that in him we might receive righteousness of God. This morning we practice... It's the first Sunday of the month, so we have a system to it. Communion. And if the band will come up and those who are attending communion will join me. The Lord's Supper is a practice where, if you remember, at that last supper, 
At that last supper, Jesus calls together his disciples for something called the Passover. The Passover had been happening for hundreds, thousands of years, this celebration. And Jesus sits down, he has this meal with his disciples that they knew they understood the meal. But then at the tail end of the meal, he says, but there's a better way. Can you imagine how shocked and how stunned they were that you're saying you're going to improve upon the Passover? He says, I'm not going to just improve upon it. I'm going to make what was then obsolete. I'm going to dismiss that from being necessary. And so when we celebrate communion here, we are celebrating the shocking new way and the Apostle Paul comes and he gives us even more detail of how it lays out. He says, this is how we go forward with a better way of understanding that at the cross, Jesus Christ completed everything. At the cross, it's done. It's done. So dear Lord, thank you for who you are. As we enter this time of communion, I pray that there will be hearts this morning that are stirred. There are some here, Lord, who have been trying to get all of their chairs in a row, trying to align all of their works and the things that they are doing in order to please you for year after year after year. And this message is a reminder to say, it's okay, I've already done it. There are others here this morning, Lord, who would be meeting you for the first time. And that comparison between all the religions of the world and who you are, that would be the first understanding of that. Lord, I pray that they would also be able to grab a hold and say, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me, that you died in my place. Thank you for what you've done. We pray that hearts would be stirred this morning, that this would be a special time, but a serious time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. At Randall, we practice an open communion. What that means is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to the Lord, we invite you to be part of our communion table here. If you're not, if you don't know who Jesus is or if you're not right with him, there are scriptures that would say you need to get those things right before you come to the communion table. Maybe you need to wait till next time we have communion here. Or maybe you need to shoot a text message or maybe you need to get up and move and ask someone for forgiveness. Maybe when the elements are passed out, you need to hold on to them for just a little bit longer. Just because I give the prompt that now you are able to eat or now you're able to drink. Maybe you need to hold that for a little bit longer and just let the weight settle on you that Jesus Christ has done it all and you don't need to do anything else. So in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is the Apostle Paul talking. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And so we start that way as well. We will hand out the bread. We'll make its way through 
And then I'll lead you through as we go.